What's up, everybody, and welcome to the One More Jump podcast by Rise Pole Vault. I am going to be completely honest. I had no idea uh, who to follow up Mondo with. We had an awesome talk with Mondo and and um, didn't know who I was going to follow it up with. But I took a shot in the dark and sent a message to the Aussie, Steve Hooker, um, and he accepted the invitation. I didn't expect it, um, but he was super kind and, and said that he would, he would enjoy doing it. And man, we had an awesome, awesome talk. Um, I didn't realize at the time that I sent the invitation, or I didn't think about the fact that it would be two 30 in the morning, our time or Chicago time, uh, whenever we did the podcast, but you know what? When Steve Hooker accepts your invitation to do a podcast, you get up and take care of business and get the podcast done. Um, and it was really just awesome, you know, being able to sit down with you know yet another gold medalist, Olympic gold medalist, uh, world championships uh, gold medalist, and he's really done some incredibly savage things in the pole vault. Um, he's had mental struggles and, and he's bounced back and just done some incredible, incredible things. He's got some really, really awesome stories, some legendary, legendary stories, some gangster stories is what I called it in the podcast. But anyway, I'll stop talking. Hope you guys enjoy this podcast with the legend in the game, Steve Hooker. I don't know. The pole vault community is going to be happy to have a little bit of a long form, longer form uh, talk with you. So we really, really cool. appreciate it, man. Oh, good, man. So That's I don't want to, I don't want to waste your time. I know, like you said, you're busy and, and uh, I mean, we, we can seriously just kind of jump right in and, and just, I guess, start with, you know, your background in, in the pole vault and uh, how you get started. You know, it might be a little different than how you get started here in the U.S. Yeah, um, I, I think it's a bit different um, how you get started in pole vault in Australia. Um, I just got started through proximity. So um, I was doing athletics at Box Hill Athletics Club, which is in like the eastern suburbs of Melbourne. Um, and I was there around the same time Emma George um, was breaking the women's world record and she was being coached at the club by Mark Stewart. So she took the world record for about like 420 to about 455, I think. Wow. in um the mid to late 90s um and yeah i would just watch her train and just be blown away by the whole thing and followed everything that she was doing and was just like hypnotized by the sport i just loved it loved watching it every day watching them train all the stuff they were doing around it so i think i would have watched her for like a year year and a half or something and i was doing I don't know, running 800s, triple jumping, high jumping, doing all sorts of other events, not particularly well. And, but I just like was obsessed with watching that group train. And eventually I got up the courage. I was like, so afraid to ask her coach. Cause he was like coaching the world record holder. <laughs> so one day I just asked him if I could train or maybe I asked my other coach to ask if I could ask him or something. I can't remember <laughs> um, to ask if I could have a go. 
Um, and he said, oh, your mum's an Olympic long jumper, right? And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, she is. And he was, all of a sudden, he was sort of just as excited as I was because he thought, right. oh, maybe there's some genetics there. Um, and that was that. I remember my first training session, it was on like a 40-degree day and we were doing like two-step sandpit straight pole drills, but we were doing it like in the shade. It was so hot. We went away from the pole vault mats and like trained under some trees in the shade. And wow. I think um, I think my first day I jumped like 220 off two steps, which Holy I think is not God. bad for my first day. It was all right. That's so I remember, I remember just being like, like – I knew I was going to have my first session for like a month and I was just like, I want to be amazing on my first session. I want to be amazing in my first session. And That's I was like, outstanding. Okay. That's incredible. That's uh, yeah, that is different. I mean, but I was 15 as well. So I was older and I was an athlete and doing all that sort of stuff. So I wasn't young when I started, I was pretty old um, to, to take my first jumps. Well, I feel like that's actually a cool point because uh, you know, there's sometimes a common misconception with sports is that you have to be in sports at, you know, five years old. And if you don't get in at five or six years old, you're never going to be any good at anything, you know? And so you jumped in at 15 and then, you know, ended up where you ended up, you know, which is a pretty cool, cool lesson for everybody that is listening. You know, you can always get there. I don't think it's as easy. And in, it, I still got there, but I watched the guys who have been jumping since they were young you watch Mondo jump or Renault, all these guys that have been doing a long, long time. It took a lot of jumps when they were young, jumping on little poles, like just getting a feel for it for a long time. And it's really second nature to those guys. You know, like they, yeah. they never seem like they've got like a huge amount of cognitive load, like worrying about vault technique. They're like way more in flow and in the moment with the whole thing. Whereas for me, coming at it late, like I was jumping five meters within like 18 months of starting. And so it was like real stressful, real quick. And I got, I think it's like decathletes pole vaulting. Look at it like that. When you watch decathletes pole vault, it's like they're really <laughs> physically talented dudes. Sorry, my dog's going to interrupt quite a bit. No, you're good. They're really, they're really physically talented guys, but their physical talent outweighs their pole vault smarts or technique. Uh -huh. And um, so this is Maggie. She's going to pop her head in every now and then. Hey, Maggie. <laughs> um, uh, and it was sort of like that for me. When you start a bit later, you get, you're jumping high, you're jumping on poles that can hurt yourself quite early. And so for me, that resulted in it always being a bit stressful the whole way through till the very last day I took a jump. Yeah, I, you know, that's something I did want to talk about maybe a little bit later is just kind of some of your mental battles that, that you kind of went through in the event, because uh, I know that that there was some times that were not as easy as as other times. Um, but yeah, I think that's I think that's really that's, that's a cool actually way of looking at it, because if you if you have that amount of progress in such a short amount of time in anything you know, like you're, you're, you're in business now. Like, you know, I'm sure like if you grow like super, super crazy and you don't scale it correctly, you know, things can go a little haywire. Oh, all of a sudden you're in the deep end without the skills to swim, you know, right. like that's, <laughs> that's what it's like. And it's after two years, it all, it went really good, really quick. And I think like I went from starting at 15 to coming fourth at the world junior championships when I was 18. So it was quick, like quick, <sighs> turn around to do that but then after that it went off a cliff and i was nowhere for two years so it's hard to so maintain what? that when you don't have a good don't have I had a good technical base from mark but not 
like an accumulation of jumps and it wasn't second nature. Right. So I had, um, I had a pole vaulter by the name of Tobias, Toby. I don't know how to say his last name. Sherb. Sherbet. Sure. So he, he, I think he was one of your training partners for a little bit in Arizona. And uh, he stayed with me um, at my house one time uh, when we were going over to Drake relays in Iowa here. And I was talking, I was, you know, picking his brain about all kinds of stuff. I was like, you're saying you're training with Steve Hooker and Dan Vath. And I want to, you know, know about these things. And he had mentioned that him and Dan had seen you do things and, and they had mentioned that you're just, genetically kind of a freak like you could just do incredible things genetically so do you think that that is probably one of the biggest factors in how you accelerated so quickly in the event i was lucky i had two things worked in my favor um i i think and that was like good genetics like i got good genetics for my parents my parents were both good high level athletes my dad was 800 meter runner he ran like 145 in the 70s uh 60s and 70s and my mum um went to an olympic games a long jumper um she jumped like 657 i don't know what that is in feet um but i, oh, I can guess what is it it's like <laughs> 22 know. and a half feet 23 yeah. feet something like that no. yeah probably um and so i had that but i'm i love problem solving and still do to this day like i just look like looking at things that are a bit complex and trying to figure out how all the pieces fit together and that's what pole vault always was for me was just a big puzzle to solve yeah. like solve the different parts and make them all connect together and that's why i loved it i love training for it and competition and how putting together a season and all of that sort of stuff so where was the sticking point where where did the sticking point start? Like you had said that you had progressed from two years, like from no no pole vaulting at all until, and then you're at fourth at the world juniors. And so where was the sticking point? Because I know there was a couple years there. Yeah. So right off the back of that, the first time around anyway, um, was right off the back of world juniors. So I went to the 2000 world juniors in Santiago. Yelena Sambayeva won that world juniors on the women's side. Um who won the guys? A oh, Russian guy won ours as well. Um, Alexander Korshmead came second. And an American guy, Rocky Danners, um, who was a, a crazy character, he came third. He beat me on a counter. Anyway, that was in 2000. And, um, uh, and by 2001, I, I was like getting taller and I was obviously like – I was a skinny skinny kid and jumping on reasonably big poles and my black back started like hurting a little bit and so for the first time I started getting a bit conscious of taking off in the right spot like on every jump previously I was like compete run jump clear the bar whatever and as soon as my back started hurting I was like you don't want to be too close it's gonna um it's gonna flare it up and so for the first time I started thinking about that a lot more when I was jumping and then I don't know. It all went downhill really quick, like pretty quickly. I went, I went from like, this guy's come fourth at world juniors. He's like on a trajectory to go and like make the the next Olympic team. Like it's all going to kind of happen pretty quickly to like not being able to jump off four steps. Like that, that's how quick it went. And, And for me, it's all that moment, you know, you know, that commitment moment where running in and planting and it's the moment where it's like, yes, I'm going or nah you know, and that little voice in my head was just going nah, nah. And I just could not make myself hold onto the pole, no matter what, just like a couple of steps out, just felt like it was in the wrong spot, had no confidence. And 
that was that. So I feel like this is probably something that you don't really particularly enjoy reliving, but uh, like it could be, it could be just very helpful for kids who are coming up and even, even adults who are, are, you know, post college trying to make it as a pole vaulter. Um, You know, how, how old are you whenever this is going on? How old were you? It was between, I would have been 19 just before turning 19 till just after I turned 20. So it was a solid 18 months during that window of when all of this was going on. And, and it was like, it was really bad. I would turn up and like be not taking a jump for a whole vault session at that age and throwing poles and throwing tantrums. And then I'd, I know I'd go and punish myself by going running like rep 400s. And I don't know it was, it was, it wasn't pretty, but I had, I had a good environment. Like Mark is an amazing coach and a really patient guy. And he, um, he stuck with it. And the, I mean, the, the good thing is I got out of it, but I, I only really got out of it by the, what I say. I've learned a lot from that. And it's, you've got to let go of the ego at that point in time. So the problem that you'll have, especially when you're young is you'll be like, oh, I'm good at this. Like I'm at a level, you know, I was, I had a, a scholarship with the Institute here in Victoria and all that sort of stuff was there. So I had all of that around me but I was not performing at that level. But in my head, I was like, no, I'm here. And as soon as I let go of that and just went like fully back to basics, I'm doing one step drills all day. And until I do a session of one step drills where I just like take off, take every jump, that's all I'm doing. And then once I do that for a couple of sessions, I go back and do two step drills till I do that every session without missing a jump. And then it's four step drills and like slowly, slowly, like, you know how to do it. Your body knows how to do it, remembers how to do it. You've just got to practice the bit that it's not doing well. But you've got to let go of a lot of ego to be willing to go back to that level um, when you feel like that's not where you should be. Yeah, I think that that I, we have. I I work with a lot of of young pole vaulters, and uh, I we tell them we talk about that all the time. Is that you know because we get these kind of SOS messages over texts or emails, coach. I I. I suck. I I'm terrible. I can't, I'm never going to get better, you know, and, and all these things. It's been two months and I haven't had a PR and like, it's like, okay. You know, if you're older in the event, you realize like, this is very silly. Um, but you know, to them, it means everything. And to you at that time, it meant everything. And, um, and that is the biggest thing that I've found is as I, you know, you have to disconnect from that ego and you have to be able to say, I ha- I am fully accepting where I'm at right now. Yeah. And exactly. you have to come into full acceptance of that. And then as soon as you come into full accept- acceptance of that, then you can start taking little steps forward. But if you never 100%. accept it, it's never going to happen. Well, then you know? you're winning every day again. You know, then you're like, oh, okay, today was an improvement. Not today. I'm still way worse than I was a six months ago. You know, oh, this sucks. You know, Each- as soon as you like accept that's the level I'm at the floor. It doesn't get any lower than this. The only way from here is up then you can start like feeling like you're winning again, even though the winds are tiny and hard fought and all of that sort of stuff. But then you're in a positive cycle. And then all of a sudden, like the positivity starts to gain momentum, just like the negativity gain momentum when you're on the way down. And all of a sudden you're back doing things that are fun again. And you can see like you're making your progression back to where you were. And it obviously happens quite quickly because mm-hmm. you've already been there before. You're not doing it for the first time. And I'm sure you've taken that lesson and you probably applied it to other things in your life as you've gotten older too, you know, like 
in well yeah i had to do it again life. though as well like in even in pole vault i had to do it again and it, it was it, way harder like i you know i'm I went into the 2011 world championships in Daegu as the reigning world champion. I didn't take a jump in the qualifying round. Oh man. And then I was like, and, and like I'm a year out from trying to defend an Olympic title and I'm like, I'm nowhere. And that was, there was a lot of ego. Believe me, there was plenty of ego at that point in time. And there was a lot to get rid of and like um, to, to go through that process again, but knowing, having done it once, like when I actually got to the point where I stopped fighting and struggling to be there when I wasn't there, when I actually realized and I let go, the turnaround was super fast the next time because I just knew. And like I had a coach at the time that was on board and we did it together. And here is our first of two Wi-Fi issues. I apologize. I'm doing the best we can, but one day we'll maybe do these in person and we won't run into these uh, connection issues. So I apologize. And we are back. Sometimes, sometimes this just happens like uh, one one time where it just kind of resets. And I, I apologize. And I know this isn't optimum. It's all right. No, it's, it's all good. We're it's going across, across the world here. It's okay. We're better equipped than we once were. I know, right? Um, so anyway, so we, we kind of got uh, interrupted there. But basically, you were saying that the second time around was a lot easier for you to kind of just... Which I actually find surprising because, uh, you know, you're you're not just fourth at the world. Oh, hey, oh. Uh, you're not just fourth at the world juniors. You were the reigning Olympic champion and uh, you know world championships gold medalist. So that was that's pretty impressive that you were able to you know rein that in and be like, you know what? Uh, it still took a long time. I still did yeah. turn up to world champs when I shouldn't have. Um, okay. like I shouldn't have been there. And that was in August, 2011. And then it wasn't until February, 2012, when I was like, okay, I got to actually address this. Mm. Like I was trying to fight my way through it until that point. So, but then like, as soon as I'd made that decision from like February till Feb- in February, I was, I, I couldn't jump five meters. And then wow. by I, and I hadn't, I hadn't qualified for London at that point in time. And then I jumped 572, I guess, in May. So it was like three months, like like intensive turnaround, build back up and put together a meet. Okay. So this is a common theme. And I want to stay, I want to stay in, kind of in chronological order here that you, you just pull things together just like that. Like, it's so crazy. You have a crazy ability to do that in the pole vault. Like... So we'll start with um, the Olympic gold in Beijing. Um, There's a lot of pieces to that. Like if you watch that competition, like the whole competition, there's a lot more to it than just, hey, Steve Hooker won the gold medal. A lot of, there's third attempts, there's flying wide right, there's all kinds of crazy stuff. So tell us about about that experience and kind of how that all, you know. I went in like the year went well in the lead up to that. So I jumped six meters at the start of the year in Australia for the first time. Um, And then obviously spent the next couple of months watching Brad jump massive in America. He set the American record that year and then um, was in the meet in Poland where Lukianenko jumped 601. And so like there was three of us that were going well. And the last meet we did before the Olympics was the London Diamond League. And that was a crazy meet. Me and Luke and Enko both jumped 597. We were attempting six. 
Brad was still in the meet at that point as well. So it, we, we were all like fully there in the window, ready to go um, at that point in time uh, going into the games. And qualifying round was like qualifying round was a part of that event and that was big as well. It was like pretty um, decisive what happened there. Um, Lukinenko went through smooth, but I, I struggled. I put up, we were, we were waiting a long time. If you're opening at 565 in the qualifying round, at Olympics, it's been sitting around for an hour and a half or so. Right. And I, I didn't put up a good jump on my first jump. It was messy. And then put up a real good jump on my second attempt and just crushed the pole, blew through. And so, like, your third attempt qualifying round, miss it and you're going home. And I didn't really know, but Brad was in the same situation at the same time on the other pit. Okay. Um, and I don't know. Like, I think Brad stayed on the same pole for his third attempt. I took the next pole. Um, for my third attempt, I put up a good jump. It was like a confidence booster for me, cleared the bar. And then like, obviously Brad didn't make the final, right? um, which, which sucked. It would have been good for all three of us to be there. It would have been an epic and he was jumping really well. He was in the best shape of his life. And I think we all were, it would have been, um, an even crazier competition in the final than it turned out to be, but it's it's the way it played out. And you you know, you sort of got, got to go into the final knowing it was really between two of us. We were about a foot better most of the other guys that year it was just the way that it was sort of working mm-hmm. and um yeah you knew it was going to be one of us and f- for me like i had a i'd come off the 2007 world champs um where i think i went into that as world ra- number one ranked in the world and just was being too cheeky with my like competition strategy like i was just trying to pass you know and and take a take a win or take a medal by passing in like you know, passing a third attempt to the next height. Um, and it didn't play out well for me there. And we'd made a conscious decision after that to just take a lot of jumps and get really vault fit and know that if we were going to be the best and win a competition, we just had to jump a bar higher than other people. And we'd do that not winning on a count back or anything like that. We'd do that by by jumping the next bar. And that meant even if someone's jumped ahead of you, like, Take your third attempt at that height, get your three attempts at the next height. Let's jump the highest bar on the day. Right. Um, and so that was the strategy going in. And as you mentioned, it was crazy. Like I think that the track in Beijing was really, really hard. No, no one was going well in the start of that competition. Like everyone was really battling. I don't, my legs felt really heavy. I didn't like feel good on the runway. Um, there was a there was a breezeway like right in front of us in the stadium. There was a little headwind. It was, it was like a really enclosed stadium, except for this breezeway that was like blowing straight into the face oh, of the whole geez. And that would just come and go at random points during the competition. So you you could have some really tough jumps in a row. Um, and and it just took a long time to get going. And um, you know, like I opened better than qualifying round. I opened five sixty five, went clear first attempt. But then after that, it was third attempt everything. Like literally, like. It was literally third, third attempt that, everything. Yeah, 580, wow. third attempt. I went to 585, um, missed two attempts, and then the wide right is what happened on third attempt at 585. And it's a good example of if, if I'd passed that, so Lukianenko had already gone clear 585. I was not improving my position by taking that attempt at 585 because I was already second. Right. Um, we'd both jumped 580. No one else had. So I wasn't improving my position. I was taking that jump to get three goes at 90. And I reckon if I passed that third attempt to 590 and gone wide right, it was a miss, yeah, and I'm silver medalist. It's a, right. it's a different story. I went wide right, took the jump, just clear it, 
just land on the mat, survive, <laughs> and then get to 590. And at 590, I started to feel good. So that's the first time in the meet where I actually started to feel like I had my legs underneath me, underneath me and I was rolling. And it was my eighth jump was my first jump that I was taking at, um, at 590. First time I started to feel okay. And then wow. obviously, it went to third attempt again on that. And then boom. Uh, yeah, then Yevgeny's ahead of me in the order in the competition, which was good for me. Uh, I didn't watch any of his jumps, just like in the meet, I couldn't watch anything. So I was like literally head down. And I, all I would know how anything happened was by the noise of the crowd. And so <sighs> each of his jumps, I would just be looking down and I'd either hear like, you know, a cheer or a sigh. And, um, and and I'm glad that I didn't watch him because he was jumping as if you've watched it again recently, he was jumping way better than me in that meet. Like he, he was the better pole holder up until 590 in that meet. No doubt. I didn't feel good. I didn't feel like I was going well. And he looking back at it, I was like, man, he was, his misses were barely misses and mine were big misses. And I, my clearances <laughs> were not impressive <laughs> in, in, in any way, but I was just sort of staying alive in the competition. And that was in a lot of ways, I think, thanks to the, the sort of strategy that we had. And it, and it wasn't until like he missed third attempt 590 and then all of a sudden the whole comp open up, opens up for me. And again, he's missed at 590. Like um, you watch the video of his miss and you see him standing on the runway waiting for his third attempt. And he says, Blin, which in like Russian is like, fuck it. Like, sorry. <laughs> no, but you, see, you see him say it and it's, he's got the wind blowing in his face out of the tunnel. It's just like third attempt, like the winning part oh, of the Olympics man. and the wind sort of picks up and blows in his face. He's obviously on a, you know, he's on the, the, the money pole and, Everything's got to come together and it just didn't quiet. Um, and then I had my chance. And um, as, so what, what pole and what I'd grip? Done, what pole and what grip were you on? Um, I was on an 11, a 520, 11-1. Holy. Uh, which was cow. just happened to be the pole I was always on in big meets, like when when it was going well. And I think I'd just gone to that pole. So I'd, I'd, I, w- I would have been on... 11.3 on my previous attempt. I think I blew through my second attempt, 5.90. That was my first really good jump of the meet. And then we were like, okay, we've got this. Took the next pole and was was um, ready to go. But, um, yeah, that was the pole that most good things happened for me on was on, was on that pole. I jumped per- personal best on that pole as well. So, That's yeah, what five, I was five, wondering. Yeah. 11.1, 5.20, and I would have been gripping 5.13 or something on that. Wow. 5.14. Gosh, dang. That's that's pretty that's a that's a hog right there. Um so I weighed 85 and a half kilos, so I'm not a little guy. Right, um, so, right. So I was I, I had a bit of mass, so but it, it was work. That was that was a good balance for me. That grip, that pole, a lot of if I found myself in a meet on that, it, it worked well. I'm just curious, is this is totally random, but uh what was that a silver label? pacer or carbon fx or a white label but i know this is like dude why, it was why white tape white, white tape all the it way was, through the label it was white or in the in the middle in the uh, middle was it a no, silver silver, silver it was silver okay gotcha silver. Yeah. we've always been trying because we watch all we have is youtube and so yeah. I, you know what i'm trying i'm always trying to see because uh they because gil made really really the this series that we have this carbon fx series uh that we have that all three of my brothers uh me and my two brothers won the state championship on the same pole yeah which is yeah. pretty cool and so like yeah, that's that, amazing 
that uh ours was a 475 series uh that we that we did um when we were in high school um and it's just like a legendary series in our family <laughs> that's the one <laughs> and i was like that is the one i want to know if if hookers was the same the same series but i, I think, think yours was. was a little i think yours was a little um like the one generation before that it, it so. probably was but i had i ended up having three sets of them really at various play i ended up having one in the us one in europe and one in australia i have the same like the same like uh, like order of poles in like right. three different bags around the place. How many poles? How many do you remember? How many poles you were traveling with back then? Uh, for a meet, I would turn up with an eight-step pole, and that would have been. I probably would have taken up a jump off eight steps on like a five-meter fourteen-four or something. I would have just taken up a jump and jumped a bar on that, like in a warm-up, and then I would go back to full, and I would start on like a like a mid to high twelve like 520 pole and then just so there's nothing in between nothing no 510s or anything in between there i didn't no not really i was five five meters or 520s yeah wow yeah that's pretty cool but yeah but it was hard mentally and you know jumping on carbons is hard physically as well Mm -hmm. um my last couple years i tried jumping on um on spirit like just had a different thought think about the way that i wanted to jump Mm -hmm. and i want I, i kind of like Jumping on carbon, as you and it's all about keeping the pole bent, you know, like putting all your energy into keeping that bend. And it doesn't, it wants to be straight. It doesn't want to be bent. Whereas glass seems to be happy being bent, staying bent a little bit longer and letting you get into position and ride a little bit longer before you say, okay, it's time to go. Whereas, you know, jumping and jumping on a big carbon pole, like I don't know many guys have jumped on real, like, like heavy poles like that on carbon, it's hard on the body. Like it hits your shoulder at takeoff. It doesn't give. And you've got to like, you've got to, hit your shoulders into it to like put a bend in and it's kind of recoiling when it wants to you're not you're not fully in control of that and you can watch your jumps uh like at the olympics and stuff particularly at the olympics like your gold medal jump at 85 um at pole it looks like it even hardly even bent like it was it was it was not like a full on, you know, big. Not, not like how, how Mondo and Renault and these guys right. jump, you know, like not like gripping higher, letting it bend, getting yourself in position, choosing and then and kind of going. It was you had to have it lined up a long way out and hit it with a lot of a lot of confidence. But if you get on top of that bend, you get you can get a pretty a decent little pop out of it. You know, you can like- <laughs> you can, but you got to time it. Like you, you got to yeah, time right, it, and right. that's. And it's and it's all it, it felt like for me. I watch those guys jump, and when they're in good shape, they look like they're going to jump high all the time. Mm-hmm. And for me, I felt like I had to have a lot more things lined up. And it's, it's, there's a little bit of that second nature thing I spoke about earlier. Like they're more natural at it than I ever felt that I was. But then the carbon piece was another one for me, where I yeah. just felt like I had to hit it just <laughs> right for all the elements to line up. I could see that because I jumped on carbon my whole life. And uh, and then until I saw Steve Hooker switch to spirits and then I bought a whole line of spirits. <laughs> and then I, I finished out my career. I was a, a 555 guy and, and I uh, finished out my career on uh on spirits and i and i did i i mean they're they're incredible poles. I mean there's there's three really, really, you know, great pole manufacturers out there right now as yeah. with Essex and, and, you know, Pacer and then, uh, spirit UCS spirit. And, um, I mean, to each their own, you know, I carbon and they're, they're, really they've got, well, they're, 
they've got different pros, right? Like my pull oh, yeah. drop was my big weakness and and I would be like tend to overstride into the box. And as soon as you put a spirit in my hand, it's a bit heavier, especially mm-hmm. if you're jumping on like 11 points. It's like yeah. quite a heavy pole. <laughs> and you drop that early and you bo- your shoulders want to go back and then your legs start getting out in front of you. And that that's hard for me, right? Whereas the, 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 the pacer gave me a lot more, like forgave me a lot more for a pretty average pole drop. I didn't yeah. have the confidence to drop it late, like like a well, Dimitri Markov would, you know. I, I'm surprised. Yeah, right. I'm surprised. Uh, I'm surprised that that transition because you ended up going and then qualifying for London on a spirits. Yep. And and uh, so you were able to put together good performances on those. But I I thought that whenever you switched to them, uh, I in my head I was like that's going to be hard because he's not carrying, you know, uh, you know, four seventy fives. he's carrying five twenties, you know, like they're, they're huge and the mandrel size on them are going to be gigantic. And, and, uh, I don't know. How Do you want to that? know why I swapped? Yes, please. Surely this might be the only forum where people will actually be interested in this answer. Sometimes I talk about this, but <laughs> Let's hear it. you want to know why? Let's hear it. Yes. So here it is. Here's, here's my like one thing I learned about pole vault, which I like, I, I saw it late and no, one, I'd never heard anyone really talk about it or think about it all that much before. It's something that just kind of happens. And like, I always couldn't understand. Bubka would have weighed like three, four kilos more than me. He, he was like nearly 90 kilograms and we were jumping on the same stiffness pole. So I'm like, how is he blowing over? Like, 6.15 like it's nothing and I'm, I'm on the same pole same grip and I'm like four kilograms lighter and I'm that's not happening and so we, we were kind of trying to look at all the different angles trying to figure it out and uh it was the 2010 season a season that was like a hit and miss for me it was it was like I had some good meets and some and more bad meets than good meets um but one of the things we started filming a lot that year was um the jump from behind and just looking at the, like, we're so used to like panning and watching the run up and watching that side on angle of the jump. All, all those meets that year we were filming from um, the side and, and, and behind. And Renault was just amazing that year. And so we're watching Renault jump and me jump. And then we're watching the videos and we see the same thing happening over and over again. And from behind, you watch Renault plant and his pole tip hits the right hand side of the box. And then the pole lays down and hits, it starts recoiling after it lays down all the way and hits the opposite side of the box, hits it, and then it recoils, right? When I'm planting, every one of mine's going left-hand side of the box. If you think about the difference in angle your pole is going to have, if you plant on the bottom of the, the box, one's on the right-hand side and it can lean all the way over to the left, and one's on the left-hand side and it's just got the angle of the box to basically run into, right. that, that, that Angle goes all the way up the pole, and it's like an, it's a massive difference in terms of the bend that you get in that pole. For sure, um, yeah. I never really so thought about that, but yeah. neither did I. And then all of a sudden, we're watching it, and we're like, and then I was like, "What did Bubka do?" And then we eventually found some footage from behind, and it was the same <laughs> thing. He was hitting yeah. right hand side of the box. The pole was getting like a big bend out the side when you watch it from the back, hitting that getting getting that big bend before it hit the the left hand side of the box, and then he's riding it up. And he was a spirit guy as well. Right, yeah. And so I was like, at this point in time, you got to remember, I think I finished 2010 and I think I held everything. I held Commonwealth Games, Olympic Games, World Champs, World Indoors, 
Continental Cup. Like I literally had everything at that point in time. I wasn't the best jumper in the world. Renault was definitely that year, but I held every title and I was second best all time at 606. And I was like, I just want to break the world record. And I saw this thing that Bubka did and Renault did. And I was like, that's it. Because all I got to do is jump on the same pole, hit that different spot. I'm going to get twice as much energy out of the same pole. And huh. I'm and I'm going well, right? But right. I was also like, geez, maybe that's the only reason why I'm the guy that's never broken a carbon. Like I haven't like had a massive <laughs> bend on a carbon and broken, right? Maybe, maybe that's why I've survived on these poles. And it's certainly why I kind of hit them hard and had to hit them hard and why it looked like they were fast jumps with me, not like a big slow jump because it yeah. had to be because there was less time because of that little bit of geometry. So right. at that point in time, I was like, you know what? I'm going for it. I want to, I want to break the world record. And I think I'm going to do that by changing the spirit and changing where I plant the pole, like running at 9.7 meters a second. I'm going to move it 15 centimeters to the right. And that's the answer. Oh, and that geez. is why I did that. Wow. <laughs> And yeah. how did that work out? I'm just curious. Well, we all know I... we all know how it worked out. So I was starting from a, from not a great place. I had a, like through my whole career, I had a bit of patella tendinopathy, my jumper's knee, left knee. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, and it was pretty sore at the end of 2010. Anyway, I my first major of the year was Doha at the start of the year, and then Commonwealth Games um, was in October, I think, in Delhi at the end of the year. So it was a long year. And I jumped the whole way through it and I was pretty um, banged up by the end of the year. So I wasn't starting physically from a great place. And then when I was getting back into training, all I was thinking was change a fundamental element of your technique. So we'd like film everything from behind and I just try planting like over to that right side from like starting from four step drills and starting to work back. And it was a thing like if I hit there, I would get, I could, I would feel the bend just go way out the side and I would, it, I felt like I had more from it. Like I had more space to work with. I had more time. Like it's different. It's actually different whenever I could hit it, but I was spending all this time, like with my head in the box, if that makes sense. I wasn't like taking off up here, like thinking tall, all the right things you should be thinking of when you're pole vital. I was thinking about one little tiny spot that was down there and everything was like getting cramped and jammed up trying to yeah. do that. So I would get better at hitting the right-hand side of the box. And every day I got better at doing that. I became a worse pole vaulter. And sort of had less confidence in my takeoff and less flow. And it was also detrimental to my knee because my biomechanics into the takeoff were kind of worse because I wasn't taking off as well off the ground. Anyway. This is going into focused. 2012, right? This is this is sort of going into 2011, 2012. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So this so, goes into the world championship where I didn't take off was because uh, I was like trying to hit right-hand side of the box and then goes into uh, 2012 where it's still not working. I just had to think less about it and think more about the fundamentals. So another common thing that we talk about, uh, and that we we see across, you know, so many pole vaulters, I know I dealt with it in my career and, uh, it sounds that you dealt with a similar thing is the comparison to other people and, and the belief in what you do. Um, and, and that's something that I think Mondo um, is really good at. I just think he just has a supreme confidence and he's just like, you know what, this is the way I do it. And I'm just sending it just, you know, this is how I'm going to do it. You know, Renault, same thing, Sam Kendricks, same thing. Um, very different ways of pole vaulting, Mm -hmm. especially like if you compare Sam Kendricks with, uh, Mondo, um, very, very, very different. And, 
So do you feel like you were just kind of grasping for something to help you to get better in that time? Or or w- if you were to go back, would you, nah, would I'm, you redo I was a it problem again? Solver. It's, it's the same thing that got me there in the first place. Like um, I, I was just solving the problem. And I was like, I just found like a piece of the puzzle I'd never even thought of for 10 years. And then I was like, this is amazing. Like it's, it's a big needle mover. Like it's actually a crazy big needle mover. But... To do it when you're already, I don't know how old I was. What was I, like 28, 29? And, right. You know? I was That's like, tough. Yeah, it's, it's a hard thing to change when you've got a lot of reps doing one thing. It's a big change mentally. And it's at, probably the thing I should have realized is it's at that point, which is my biggest weakness, which is commitment and takeoff. Yeah. Right? So, so you, you, you put a big technical change at the point when you're at like peak load for me cognitively. And that's when things just kind of explode a little bit but i wouldn't take it back like it was an adventure right trying to do that trying to figure it out um trying to feel a different way of jumping i wanted like i wanted my jumping to feel the way that those guys felt you know like i like watching that jump it doesn't feel as aggressive you know like yes it's still aggressive and they're going for it and all that sort of stuff but it doesn't feel like they're like, like trying to break the pole like it felt like when i was jumping so i kind think- of like the idea of that it looks like more fun yeah, for sure. Do you think they were trying to do that? Or do you think that was just maybe a natural thing that kind of happened? I don't think, no, I don't think anyone tries to do that. I think that's just a natural thing that happens. And it's just a coincidence. I it's think. just a coincidence. Okay. I think so. Although I, I think Mondo, and if you're going to give me two guys that I think could do it, if they were trying to do it, it would probably be those guys. They could probably just decide that that's what they wanted to do. And they could just do it like that because so much of it's so easy for them. They could just go, yeah, okay. And then you just, uh, you just put it in there. Off they go. Whereas for right. me, it was like, ah, get it in there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's crazy. That's a good point too. I'm sure that that was a mess in your head, like trying to deal with that, you know, over, over the last, those last like yeah. four, four or five steps, you know, like it probably was just pretty, pretty difficult. Cause that's a very, very specific thing that you're trying to, it to is. do it's not just like hit the box which is that it's like that little bit right at the back of it as well you know like wow not yeah early you can hit you know it's it's late and that means everything gets a bit late it was it was not that much fun trying to do it i'll be honest it was a pretty I bet. not fun experience but not all experiments are well you did have a cool place to do it at and that what was, happened to that place because that was that a was cool, cool place tell yeah, everybody yeah. about what that was I don't know. You're probably like me. You probably grew up thinking, you know what? All I want one day is like a warehouse with my own like pole vault set up where <laughs> me and my friends can train. Right. And so um, in, I guess it was 20, 2010, Red Bull came to me and they said, we want to support you going into London and you can do a project. What do you want to do? And I said, oh, I want to break the world record. And I've got this idea of what I want to do. And they're like, how do we help? And I was like, a controlled training environment would be good. Can we set one of those up? And then um, I know the Western Australian government was really helpful. They said, we've got this old warehouse. It was a, it was a train carriage like warehouse that hadn't been used for like 40 years. Yeah. So, like you could use that. And so we laid a runway down in between some actual train tracks where they used to roll train carriages in. Whoa. We laid like a, a Rekatan runway down there and put a pole box into this thing that used to be a train like... Um, like pivoting kind of turntable type thing. So we like refitted that as a pole vault box and that became our thing. So we had, we had a double ended pit 
One was just a, a flat runway. That's the runway I actually ended up jumping my Olympic qualifier on at a meet that Red Bull put on for me. And then the other way, we put a decline runway. So we were one of the first groups that put like a like a one degree full length decline runway to sort of practice jumping on bigger poles. And and then we set up like before iPads and stuff where you can do this a lot more easily now, we set up um, like four separate angle um, cameras that all recorded in real time. And then we could, it had like a video editing studio in a shipping container. So we could like scroll back and watch the jumps and do all that sort of stuff, which would have been amazing if I was taking up good jumps, but mainly what I put up in there was junk. So it it didn't quite work out how we planned, but it did get me to the Olympic games. And that's the one thing I will say about it. Without that facility, I would not have got back for London. No way. And without the meat that Red Bull put on for me in there, it was the best vibe. It was like 300 of my buddies in there. There was like a DJ. It was like full hype. And without that facility and the meat they put on for me, I would never have made that games and be a three-time Olympian. And for me, it's like the best thing a sponsor's ever done for me. Yeah, of course. With all of that that sort of stuff. So that was amazing. The one thing that I... uh, And tell me if I'm wrong... um, did you guys have a force plate in the back of that box too? Yeah, we did. Yeah, there was a force plate in that box. I've always that's wanted right. that. I've always wanted yeah. that. I think that would be so cool. Like that's like one of my, I, I own a uh, pole vaulting gym here in mm-hmm. Chicago. And uh, I, that's one thing that I've always wanted is a box with a force plate that could just like project like, hey, you hit the box with that much force that time. Um, I think that would be so And also cool. how long the force is in the box. That's the piece, right? So it's not just the moment of impact. It's like how long you're putting force into the box. And again, uh, like if you think of like the bigger bend, that's a longer time exerting force into the box. Right. So that, that's sort of another element. So you see the shape of the force, not just the moment or the maximum force that goes into it. Right. Yeah. See, and I, yeah. That I think it would be really cool. I think it might be over the head of you know some of the little kids that we work with, <laughs> but but for me it'd be a lot of fun to just kind of di- uh, tinker around with and collect that data and then be able to to mess around with it. But I, I can I actually contacted the uh, company that makes one, and I don't know if it's the same one that you guys had, but uh, I was like, yeah. So how much will get one of these bad boys installed? So I guess me like forty grand. I was like forty thousand dollar pole vault box. <laughs> I was like, no, I'm oh, good. It's not just that you need a like I don't know, like a hundred thousand dollar a year biomechanist to run it for you as well, because it's like Jeez. it's a whole setup and collaboration, uh, calibration, sorry, of it and all of that sort of stuff. So, I mean, yeah. he, he wasn't working with me all the time, but I would have I would borrow him for like six hours a week to to do these sessions. It's there's a wow. there's a lot that goes into it, and I had amazing support. That situation we had in Western Australia was phenomenal. We had like the best grass track I've ever run on. We ended up with this indoor facility. And here is the second Wi-Fi disruption. Sorry about that. That's so you you had the, the grass track and... and uh, Amazing grass track to run on, indoor facility from Red Bull and an outdoor track where a tailwind would come in at 2.30 every afternoon. It was the, the sea breeze. It even had a name, this wind. It was called the Fremantle Doctor because in Perth, it gets hot. And Fremantle is south-southwest of the city. And every day at 2.30, this wind would come off the water and cool down Perth, um, blowing oh, the south-southwest. Wow. So the track was designed to actually be exactly in line with that wind coming in every afternoon. Yeah, that always fascinated me. I was like, man, that's a cool green track. And then I talked with somebody and they were like, no, that's grass. And I was oh, like... Oh, that track. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was the, like, the, the, oh, is that a different one? 
The grass track, well, the grass track was amazing. Yeah. So that, and that's like 50 meters away from the stadium where we would train as well. So you can, yeah. you can go and do your, your, your workouts on that, on that track. And it's so, so is it just like perfectly body. flat? Like it's just perfect. a perfectly flat grass. It's like, it was like a golf, golf green. Wow. Right. It was amazing. That's so cool. Yeah, yeah. I've always, I've always found that uh, pretty, pretty interesting. Um, we we are uh, approaching that that one hour. I just I don't I I would love to keep. I do still have a few more questions. Um, but uh, let me know whenever you you need to go, and then I you can just Fine, interrupt man. me. Let's no no you go, I'm I'm good. Whatever you <laughs> okay. want to go into. Cool cool. Um okay so rewinding a little bit to I think it's the most gangster move of pole vaulting history is. <laughs> is is the world championships in berlin i mean you got if winning the gold medal that was is incredible and i don't you know you don't want to take anything away from that but i think in the pole vaulting community for the people who followed you i think that competition had such an impact on every everyone who knows about you and who who follows you it was incredible it was Everything you want in a sporting story was in that meet. And I it's just crazy. So take us through, take us through that and how that all worked. Because some of these people won't understand and they need to be taught about this. <laughs> well, well, it, it starts be in school. With, <laughs> I, I was going well. So I, I think um at Leverkusen in, in, in Germany, um, they've got this outdoor um setup where they hold their meet. Um, uh, every other year I, I competed there a couple of times and it's on a really good D it's got a nice roll on it so um, once you get past your mid mark you're like running downhill to that box it's a really fun place to jump cool. and I was taking my last couple of training sessions before that world championships there and I think my second last training session I was going really good I had a hard bar at six meters in my training session I was taking proper shots at it I feel like I nearly jumped it I reckon there was 30 people watching this training session and I, I was I was going really really well, and I thought I'm going to go there and break the world record. Is what I thought going into Berlin, wow. and that was my second last vault session, maybe two weeks out from the meet, and then ten days out from the meet, I took my last vault session, and I took up like nothing, like an eight step drill, like my first, like you know, we, we do these drill where you kind of do a turn, try and touch a, a bar as high as you can. Yeah. I took off to take that and I just felt a, a tear in my right adductor. And I hadn't had a lot of muscle tears in my life. And I was like, oh, what's that? That was weird. And then I was like, I don't think I can jump. It was my last session. And oh. so it was, it happened the day of or the day before. We actually, the whole team traveled from Cologne to um, Berlin. And I sort of went straight from the hotel in Berlin to get an MRI and it showed this 10 centimeter tear in my right adductor oh. uh, muscle. And so all of a sudden I'm like, well, I'm done. Like, this is it. Like, I'm actually not going to be able to even compete. Um, but uh, I'm not one to give up. And so, for, you know, for me and the team, we just said, let's, let's just try and get there. Let's do everything we can for the next 10 days to, to get there. So it was literally the icing every two hours through the night, doing everything just to manage inflammation and get it under control. I think I waited five days before even trying to sort of jog and then little jogs here and there. Um, and just, I don't know, got to qualifying day and thought, you know what, I'm going to try and make the final. And the, we, we went in there with a simple idea, which was let's 
Um, let's skip warm up because as soon as you warm up and sit down again, you're not going to be able to run in the comp. So you can't do a warm up. So let's pick a height and a pole and a run up and a grip. And the first jump you take, the first time you go down that runway is going to be to try and qualify for the final. And, um, so it was a, it was a, a weird morning. Like, you know, you turn up to the track and everyone's warming up and I just got my final treatment on my leg and I'm watching everyone warm up outside. And then 90 minutes before you go into the call room and I just roll in the call room with everyone else. And then everyone starts their warm up out on the track 60 minutes before the meet. And I don't know, I went and asked my coach to get me a coffee or something. He got me a coffee from the concession stand in the stadium. And I just sat there and like, drank a coffee and watched everyone do their warm-ups. Like I said, gang, most gangster was, move. <laughs> I had to make it look like at least cool, I guess. Um, and then waited and I was like, and, and the bar got to 565 and we sort of thought this looks like it'll be it. This Probably 12 guys go over this. So um, I took my first jump, like, you know, took a pole that I felt good at, at 565 on, chose a run-up that was like my starting run for most of my comps that year and just – set off down the runway one jump and I do like when I took off I do recall like it stretched everything for the first time you know like imagine how that right leg kind of stretches that takeoff mm-hmm. and like it hurt like there was there was there was some pain and like I don't know I don't even know what that jump looks like that 565 clearance but um it went over and I land on the mat and I'm clear and I'm like, and then, and then you sit down and you see who else goes over to know like if you threw to a final or not. Cause there was no more jumps in me that day that was done. And frankly, afterwards I was sitting down asking myself like on the track and, you know, after it finished, I, I thought no way I'm competing in the final. Like that hurt a lot. I, I don't think I'm going to be able to walk tomorrow. Like I'm in not good shape, but did all the right things, went an ice bath and did everything um, afterwards. And then it's obviously 48 hours. So I made the final. Um, then it's 48 hours from that qualifying. A bit longer, actually, because it was a night final and a morning quality. So maybe 54 hours. Every minute counted for me. Right. Um, and I was lucky. I was so lucky. Um, I was sponsored by Reebok at, the, at that time. And I didn't think I was competing in the final. So on the day in between the qualifying and the final, I was like, I'm going to go to the Reebok hospitality today. I'm just going to go and hang out there. And I went in there and um, and uh, the girl, um, Jen, that worked at Reebok was like, how are you going? I was like, I just feel crap. Like, I can't walk. It's no good. And she was like, you should go and see Scap. And so Scap's um, amazing dude. He's a, a Canadian sports chiropractor. And he just got me on his table and like treated me in a way that I hadn't been really treated before. Like he treated like, you know, my diaphragm and like, was looking at how all of that sort of stuff was like pulling on my adductor and all of us, I got off the table and I was like, I can move. This is Whoa. unbelievable. And he also was like, oh, you're a chest breather. And that's a whole another story learning about how you breathe and how it impacts your body and all that sort of stuff. But all of this happened between the qualifying round of the final in Berlin. But I literally yeah. got off his table after 40 minutes and I was like, I could maybe do this. And right. so that night I went to the warm-up track and I, I took strides, not running fast, nothing, but I, I could move. And I was like, all right, let's go to the final. And I was like, if, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to win. I want to win a medal. Like I'm not going out there for nothing. So I'm going to wait until the bar is at a height where I can win a medal. And I, and I thought at the time, like maybe that's 580 um, is what that'll take. Mm-hmm. But that was the strategy going in. Like no point taking a jump before that. Um, so then same thing in the final as quali. Um, I just 
sat on the bleachers and watched everyone do their warm up, and then the competition started, and it was a long comp. I think quite a few guys made the final. There might have been 15 or 16 of us that went through, I think. Um, so it was a long competition and everyone was jumping really well. And so the bar's going 570, 575. 575 is the highest I've ever opened at a competition in my career up to that point. Right. And I was going amazing. And then there's still like six, seven guys in the meet at 575. So bar goes to 580. There's still five guys or something. I'm like, I don't think this is going to do it. Uh, I don't think this is winning a medal. So I passed 580. And so now, so the bar goes to 585 and I'm like, I can't, I can't wait anymore. Like this is, this is it. So um, I do not know what this pole is. I'll, I'll find out. I can't remember what pole it was. I'm guessing yeah. it was an 11.5, uh, 520 pole for that uh-huh. first attempt. And same thing, pick a grip, pick a run up, um, choose your upright position, try and get it right. And took my first jump at 585 at a world champs. Um, That's and crazy. I would normally at a major, I would run. So we've got, we got the, you got the speed from the meet, um, like what the velocities were on the runway. And I would normally run about 9.7 meters a second down the runway at, at a major. That's about, about my normal. Mm-hmm. And I was running like 9.1. Whoa. So it was like near like 8% slower than normal, a lot, but just Dang. had, had my jump like dialed in in my mind because while everyone else was jumping i was just doing it over and over and over again i've got one go i've got to get it right one go i've got to get it right and i just had that timing in my head i had that rhythm in my head and i knew what i had to do and i put up an amazing jump and you know it was like it was big i was way over 585 and then it was just that chest hit on the way down and um and i land on the mat like like I was like pretty distraught when I landed on the mat. I'm like, oh man, that was so close. It was one jump. It was nearly there. And I thought this is it. I, I, like if it's anything like quality, I won't be able to take another jump again. Um, and so, yeah, we'll, we'll start walking over to my coach and I don't feel as bad as I did in qualifying. And I think maybe I can do one more. And then Romain Manil goes over 585. Uh, yeah. Good jump. And I was and <laughs> like impressive. Um, and probably in fairness to Roman as well, he was probably running about 8.8 on the runway as well. So that was like amazing. Yeah. It's so good to watch. And then, That's crazy. And then uh, I'm like, oh, well, let's pass. <laughs> so the complete opposite of Beijing. Right. But one more jump, like that was close. So we brought the uprights in five centimeters closer and changed nothing. Um, like I had that jump dialed into my head. It was, it was a, other than where the uprights were, it was a perfect jump. Like there was nothing I would have changed from that first jump. And so I was just about doing that one more time. And somehow that happened and the uprights were in the right place this time. I go over 590 and I don't know what it would have been like to be in that competition as one of the other guys, but it, it, it would have been weird. It would have been no. a weird thing to have happened. You just, if you're one of the other guys, no, no offense to them, but you just put your poles in your bag and just well, go on about. I was day. done. So, <laughs> so when I'd done that, like I was finished. So it, it really was in their hands. It was it was Renault and and Roman that were still jumping at yeah. that point in time. It was in their hands, but it'd been a long day for them at that point. And then for something like that to happen, it would have been hard. I think. Oh my gosh! And, and wasn't wasn't all that fair? I don't think, but. At, Again, like you could do that comp a million times and it wouldn't happen. It was re- it was genuinely one of those lightning striking kind of kind of moments, but but right. showed like this is just everything. Like if you're there mentally, that's it. Like you're you're ready to go. And I've I've made a decision like 
before I got hurt, I, I remember driving, I was, I was with my girlfriend, my wife at the time, Katia, and I just remember a moment like before that World Champs where it was all clicking for me. And I was like, I'm, I'm a scenario runner. I'm always running the scenarios. How might things play out? All that sort of stuff. And I remember just saying like, and I believed it. I was like, I, I think I win the World Champs this year. I kind of feel it. And up until that point, I wasn't the favorite. Like Renault was, he jumped over six that year. He was going really well. He'd beat me a couple of times, but I just felt like it was all clicking for me and coming together. And I was like, I think I win. I just feel like I've got the tools to win this. Mm. And even though all that other junk got in the way, like I, I still somewhere in me was that belief, that moment where, I'd, where I was like, yes, I can do this and all the, the pieces are there for me. Yeah. And I think that, you know, your, your story and, and your athletic careers just has so many layers and so many lessons in it. it. It's really cool. It really is. It's very unique because some people, you know, they just kind of go through and, and you watch some vaulters and every vaulter has hardships for sure. Like every vaulter it's has hard. hardships. And everyone that takes on the pole vault is taking on something that will ultimately beat them in the end. Pole right. vault always wins. It, right. It's like one of the only ones like where normally you finish with a failure. Like it, like yeah. even when you win, it humbles you, you know, this event and Absolutely. like everyone's career, it finishes with pole vault kicking them. Yeah. And, but, but yours, you know, I think in particular is it's, it's just chock full of really good lessons. And, and I mean, I guess the common thread is just don't ever give up just, Oh, you know, it can turn around and, and, you know, like going from that two years of just kind of, you know, running through and, and not getting off the ground and things like that. And then, you know, moving into, you know, winning Olympic gold and then, and getting injured. It's just crazy because you, you talk, you were talking earlier about how, you know, mentally you've, you've kind of always had, you've always really, it's been, it's been difficult. It's not been easy, but then you have some of the most that, that third attempt in your Olympics at 80, 85 where you went ride right like that like mentally like that's a mental savage like you're a mental savage in that in that point it's the olympic games in that in in a split second you're like it's the olympics i'm taking it up like that's 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 all it is right in the moment you're like i'm not pulling out of this jump it's just amazing though that you can go from one side of the spectrum completely to the other side of the spectrum it is not everybody can do that it i think everyone's got it in them you know, and I think I really believe that, like, just putting yourself in situations is what gets you there. Like, I look at myself now, I haven't taken a jump for nine years or something, and, like, I look at the version of me that did that, and I'm like, I couldn't do that. Like, me now, today, couldn't do any of that stuff. Like, I'm telling mm. you stories about another person. Yeah. Um, it's just put yourself in that position and let things progress and believe that like let belief kind of take care of itself. Like let yourself believe that the next step is possible, not too many steps ahead, but just the next step is possible. And then let yourself find your way there. And then the next step is possible. And then all of a sudden you look back and you'd be like, man, look at what I'm doing now. Mm -hmm. Like, this is, this is crazy. Like I'm doing stuff that I only like looked up to people that were doing this, but you can find yourself there, but it's about, it's about being where you are is what I've learned, you know? 
if you're thinking too far ahead or you believe like I should be there already or you're rushing there, then you won't get there. It's, I, I don't think some people, yeah, that might work for you. But for me, it never did. It was when I was real about where I was and what I had to do to take the next thing, hit the next goal. And I was just in that it would work. And it's the same thing post-sport. It's like, okay, like have, have something that's down the road. That's like, you know, inspirational, but the goal is the thing that's just in front of you. Yeah. And then like we had talked about earlier, the same thing can be said about, you know, thinking about the past, like being right where you are and like not being like, Hey, I, I, last year I did this and, and, and now I'm not doing that. And so now I suck, you know, like, it's like, no, that's not, that's not what it is. You're just not there right now. You know, I've got the, I know I can do this. So that's a good foundation. Like right. belief is taken care of. It's just like, okay, I mean, I've just got to unpack this a bit more to find out what's standing in the way and just take my time getting back. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, that's, that's an incredible lesson. So um, the only other thing the, I don't know, I did a podcast with Mondo. Mondo was my last podcast, I think. And uh, so currently, in my opinion, the most gangster moment in pole vaulting was Berlin. The only thing that I could see trumping that is if Mondo accepts my challenge of coming in at six meters. Oh, opening at six. I mean, you've seen him. At, I mean, could. he completely I mean, he annihilates could. six meters. He could, you know? but I mean, kind of what's cool about him is the opposite. Like, guy can jump 630. Like, that's pretty clear. Right. Yet he's coming in at 550. I know. Like, I love that. <laughs> I know. It's like, I'm, I'm going out and playing pole vault today. Like, that for me is gangster. Yeah. You know, yeah. like, I'm going to take all the jumps. I just want to, I just want to, like, work through my poles and kind of feel it and, and have fun. But yeah, I wouldn't get to take as many jumps. That's honestly what it looks like to me. I don't know if that's his vibe or not. It is. He's just, he's out there and he's like, he's playing out there every day and it's looking so natural for him. Whereas, like, I was, it was pretty gangster what I did, but I looked like scary and aggressive <laughs> and like I was fighting someone, you know? It's, it, I would have, I would, I would way rather be out there enjoying, enjoying yeah. taking 10 jumps in a meet than uh, two. Right. So, what we had talked about was um, that he would have to do it in like just some little tiny rinky dink meet. You know, it couldn't be like put it on the map. A big meet, yeah, yeah, yeah. You can put it on the map. Put this but, place on the map. That was the place where he opened at six. Yeah, yeah. Some street meet or or something like that. You know, and uh, or, or you know, because a lot of people, what he had mentioned is he was like, dude, I actually like that idea, but the problem is, is that people come out to see him see pole vault. You know, and so if he just pole vault and just makes one jump at six meters and packs it up and goes home, it's like. People are like, dude, I paid money for this ticket and I wanted to see you pole vault, you know? And so anyway, so that we'll see what happens. I would like to see it. It'd be cool. I don't think there's any, he he could do that. Yeah. Like that's, that's super doable. I think Tarasov opened at 90 one time. For real. Okay. I think he opened at 90. I think, and so I think, I think he opened at 90 and cleared it. I think, I remember someone telling me about that. You might need to go into the archives. That's but I had that as something to fall back on. I think he might have the highest opening clearance. I think. Mine was That's... a miss. I opened 85, but I missed. It was so close, too. Yes, oh, my gosh. Um, okay, so then the next one uh, is the, I call it like the jump herd around the world. You know what one I'm talking about? 
<laughs> no. Okay, so anybody who follows you, like I, whenever you were at your best was whenever I was coming up. So like I was in high school. Uh, I had just graduated high school. So I was in the, just the peak of mm-hmm. my pole vaulting, you know, love for the event and everything. And I saw the YouTube video of you jumping 560 or 61, know, 561 from eight steps. Yeah. That's insane. Yeah, that and was that big. one, I how does anybody know? Has anybody do you know of anybody who jumped higher than that from eight steps? I think Renault has he jumped the same on in his backyard, but I think that's pretty downhill. So right. not not an official track. I think, but I think he jumped at 61, eight steps in his back on his backyard setup. Um, but that was, I mean, that was eight steps. I think that was on, I know what pole that was. That was a five meter twelve seven of eight. It was a decent stick. It was a big tailwind though. I think were they holding on the bar with some string with that? There was a fair tailwind. So it was pretty much downhill. I I could watch that jump all day. That that was such a cool jump. And it was that was not shoulder like, hit. It was it was just that. Like it was you have to go for that. You really just the whole flow and everything on that jump was just beautiful. It was like art in motion, man. And well, that was uh, that was a competitive training environment, though. So that was me and Paul Burgess. We okay. we each knew each other's like four steps, six step, eight steps. I think he jumped higher than me off six. And he jumped like a he jumped not not much lower. He jumped like maybe five fifty five or five fifty seven or something off eight. And so we were we were very competitive about everything we did. So there was like a little competition with that. To, he's to got uh, he's interesting too. Me and my brother were talking about him the other day. What he was a was he a six meter guy? Yep. What, yeah, he jumped what six meters in two thousand five. Do you know five meter? Oh, it wasn't he was five. Capping meter. a five meter pole. Okay, and I reckon it was like a twelve one, something like that. Five meter twelve one or something. He jumped six on something like okay. that. I hope I've been giving you a pole that's smaller than what you actually jumped on, Budgie, but something like that. I think. Yeah. See, and that's how stuff gets flipped around uh, when our backy Ben, because there wasn't as great uh, of, of communication and, and stuff back then, you know, if something happened down in Australia or whatever, because here I saw the jump and somebody who is pretty credible at the time told me it was a 475 pole. Nah, it was a five. <laughs> I, was like, I was, was like, I was like, there is no pole. way that that happened. Okay. Nah, so it was a five meter pole. It was a five meter pole. Yeah. It was a yeah. five meter pole, but I think it, it might've been close to the world record push when he did it. It was pretty close. Like he might've yeah. been holding like 496 or something. Like it's like from grip yeah. height to bar. It was big. Like he was flying and he was, he's a gymnast. So he was an elite level gymnast, Paul. Oh, really? That's where he that. came from. And he, he had a really gymnastic top to his jump, particularly then when he was going for it, he was, he was flying. Right. Um, so moving on to after, um, you're done. So, you know, you, you do the Red Bull training, uh, facility for a few seasons or whatever. And then, you know, you go on to London, you qualified for London for your third Olympic games. And then after that, you pretty much packed it up after that. Or well, that's what it would look like. I did try for a bit. So I okay. moved, I moved to Arizona, um, okay. to train with Dan. And that was with the intent of 
um, going to um, going to Rio. I think I like I wanted the happy ending. Like I kind of I didn't quite have the same competitive hunger that I had when I was younger. Like that had gone for me, but I at least wanted a good ending. I wanted to end on something that was sort of satisfying. Right. Um, I moved over there with uh, my wife. We we got married after London, Cartier and I, and she was pregnant. And we were we were on our way to. We packed up our life, our whole life out. Everything we owned was in a shipping container on its way to America. And uh, we're, she's pregnant, and we're in um, a hotel in. And we stopped in Abu Dhabi on the way, and we're in the hotel there. And I remember getting like a a message from my sponsor saying uh, it was a Chinese apparel company, 361 degrees. And they um, they were like, oh, uh, our share price is taking a hit. We're getting rid of our athletes, so we're ending your sponsorship. And <laughs> I was like literally, <laughs> literally <laughs> on my way to America, packed up All my right. with my pregnant wife, and that Goodness was that. Gracious. And so I don't know, that put like a bit of a different twist on the whole thing. Absolutely. Probably, in a way, it was probably for the best. It probably just fought... I got to make it my decision for me, not because like I was getting paid to stay in the sport after right. that. And it honestly was probably the best. Like I, right. I, my son, Max was born on the 21st of June, 2013. My last meet I ever did was the day after I did the, the sun Valley classic. It's at, it's mm. at the ASU track and it's yeah. an all comes meet. Like everyone was there. There was like, 10-year-old girls, there was like a 60-year-old dude. I reckon there was 40 people in the meet all jumping on the one pit. And I hadn't slept all night, like probably for two nights um, because I'd been in hospital. But I had this meet booked in and I was so pumped. Like Max had come into the world. It was this amazing, beautiful baby. And I was like, I feel some energy. And I was like, babe, I'm, I'm going to go do the meet. So I went, went jumped in the meet. And you know what? Like I was like full of all this energy. And like I think I jumped 520 or 12 or something. Right, which is about the best I jumped in a long time at that point. Yeah. Hey, um, hey Steve, hold hold on one second. I I'm about to pee my pants here. No, no, I'll, no worries, no worries. I'll, I'll be right back, and then easy, and then we'll easy. we'll get we'll get wrapping it up here in just a second. No worries. All right, sorry about that. Uh, we're back. You're relieved. Yes. Yeah. Oh my gosh, incredible. All right, so you you hit the hit the five twenty from twelve, and you were maybe feeling it again. I was feeling good. Bar goes to five forty, and then I got tired real quick, and that was pretty much it. And yeah. the only other vaulter in that uh, in the meet that day that was still in the comp that day was Steve Lewis, who's like my best buddy and uh, my training partner at the time. Yeah. And thankfully for me, he no hided. It's like it was like <laughs> my um, it was like my push present for having the baby, right? He right. no hided. And uh, that meant I won the meet. And so it turns out like my last competition, even though it wasn't great, it was a W. Yeah. There you go. And I'm on the winning streak out of the two of us, even though he killed me <laughs> for the last two years we were jumping together. So that, that for me was nice. That was a little gift from Max to me, that one. Yeah. And then my 31st birthday was on the 16th of July. So like two, three weeks later. And I was having a terrible day pole vaulting and sat down with Dan and, I know we just had a discussion and he's, he, I think he just said, Steve, you've had a good career. Like, what are you doing this for? Right. And I, you know, it was, the, I think I want a happy ending story. And he's like, you've had a good career. Like you should be proud and happy with the career you had. And I was like, yeah, I guess. And at the same time as well, I'm like, I don't have a job. I don't have a sponsor and I've got a family to look after. And, um, you know, that Dan gave me that kind of mission to kind of just let go and see what else is out there in life, which was really gave me two amazing things 
he let me finish my career healthy. You know, he fixed up my running mechanic and how I move. So my knee is good and is still good to this day because I thought I'd be, you know, a cripple after pole vaulting on this knee for 10 years and hurting it for that long. But he, he really gave that to me, which is amazing. And then he gave me permission to walk away, which was amazing as well. So um, I'm grateful. I never really jumped high for Dan, but I'm grateful for those two things that he gave me. That's it. Those are incredible things. Um, so I, I guess that was, that was one of the things that I wanted to ask you about is, you know, whenever I left the sport and obviously I was now nowhere close to the level that you were on, but I, I had Olympic dreams and, and things like that. And, and I was in the mix for a little bit, um, of, you know, qualifying for trials and things like that. Um, once I had my first daughter though, it was like, Hey, Oh, <laughs> this is a different ball game here. And then I went into kind of a dark place. Like I, I had a really, really hard time leaving the event. Um, a lot of my identity was wrapped up in it and yeah. I didn't, under, I went and, you know, I, I had been working a full-time job and, and pole vaulting after school and then staying up, you know, having a crying baby at night and trying to do all of these things. And, um, I pushed it a little too long and I was just curious if you had a similar kind of experience, did you struggle after? Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of letting go. Um, I mean, that's who everyone saw me as as well. Like I, it wasn't just something I had to let go of. It's like every, it was constantly reinforced. Anytime I ever spoke to anyone was that's, that's how people saw me. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is, it's, it's a full letting go process. And most people don't have to do that until they've lived a long life. They've had a long career doing whatever it is they've chosen to do. You're not that well equipped to do it when you're 30. No. And you've still got the rest of your life ahead of you. And potentially you've just had a kid, right? So you've got, this whole bit that I've got to let go of and then this new version of me that I've got to be as well, that's, that's a huge shift. So right. um, it, was, it was a process. I reckon for me it was a four-year process of slowly figuring out who this new version of me was going to be. And um, it's good. Like I'm, I'm really happy where I landed and I found a lot of happiness in all the things that I do now. And um, I'm in a point now where I just get to look back on all of that and the good and the bad and everything of it um, and enjoy it. Tokyo was the first Olympic games where I watched the sport as a fan mm. since I was 18. I, I was in the stadium in Sydney in 2000 and it was so what, 21 years of not understanding what the Olympics looks like as a fan, mm. you know, and that was amazing. It was, it was so, it was so good just to enjoy the sport and have no personal emotional connection to it, but just to enjoy the stories of the athletes and watch and perform and, and be involved in it and watch it through the eyes of just a person that's not an Olympian necessarily, you know, like I've obviously feel a connection to it, but to just be a fan, it was, it was so great. I loved it. Yeah. It's incredible to be able to let go of, um, of that kind of competitiveness towards, towards that one thing. I remember the same feeling whenever, whenever I was, in the heat of the battle, whenever I was uh, pole vaulting and, and trying to become my best, if I saw somebody pole vault high, it like shot me in my heart. Like I'd be like, oh, this guy jumped this high. 
And I'd be like, oh man, like, and I'd start thinking about it and, and it would just be like, well, he's bet he might be better than me now and all of these things. And it would just send me into this like spiral where I didn't want to talk to anybody. And I'd be like, okay, I got to get ready for the next meet, you know? And, and that's a lot to mentally, like to just constantly, especially whenever social media came out, cause it's, you start seeing videos of this guy at a personal best and, and this guy qualified for this team. And I'm, and I'm like, well, I used to be better than that guy, you know, like, and there's a lot of negative emotions wrapped up in that. But once you're able to let go of that and you're able to just be happy for somebody who pole vaulted high, you know, and watch somebody win a gold medal or, or do something maybe you didn't do. Um, I mean, maybe for you, like the world record, like that. I was so happy when Renault, when Renault yeah. did that, it hurt, it hurt, you know, like it hurt a little bit to watch it because I wanted that for so long. It was a thing that ended me in a way was chasing that. But I was so happy when he did that. Like it was time and he deserved it. And he does it with such flair. And you know, like right. it's um he's fun to it watch. was amazing. It was it was so good. And that venue, like to to break like that runway, that venue, like for him to break it on that runway in that venue. I attempted the world record on that runway 2009. Like that's that's a hard place to do it, you know. Like Isambayeva was attempting the world record on the women's runway and the crowd's going crazy. And then I was attempting the world record on the men's runway and the Ukrainian crowd wasn't all that happy to see it. And like right. Renault yeah. went there and got it done, you know, like it was, um, it was super impressive, man. That is very, very impressive. And you did come very close, especially during that Boston and Milrose run, those couple meets that you had. That was, I thought it was going down. I was like, this is going down. This is going to be awesome. Was. I didn't have a big enough pole. I had only taken one jump off my full approach before that meet at Milrose that season. Whoa. One. That's so I, I hurt my knee. I broke a pole jumping off eight steps um like a couple of weeks beforehand and so my, i got a bit of swelling in my knees i had to take a break i took one run off my full approach before jumping on the plane to milrose wow. and then just i don't know what it was but i think it was the release of the olympics being over and not having that like like weighing me down i was just jumping with freedom and having fun for the first time in like three years and in shape with that mentality it was like an unbeatable combination and right. i just didn't take big enough poles i was on the 11 one 520 there was nothing pole. bigger. It was the biggest pole in my bag. And you'll watch those world record attempts in in um in New York, and the pole is just mush. If I had right. a, had a 10 9 that day, I think I would have jumped it. I honestly think I would wow. have. I just needed a little bit more. And then between uh between Milrose and Boston, there was about eight days between those meets. The meet director, um Mark, he he agreed to take the New York runway. Cause that track at um, what the is Reggie, it? Lewis, Reggie Center. Lewis center in yeah. Boston, that, that track's dead. That one that's on the ground, yeah. but he took the Milrose games runway for me to the Reggie Lewis center and set it up in there. Yeah. And Pacer made me a 10, eight, pole. So I jumped, I jumped six Oh six on the 11 one and then put the bar up to six sixteen and pulled out this brand new 10, eight that they just made for me. Yeah. And I took up jumps on it, but that, they'd rushed it. And I like, this is not, I don't want to can them or anything. No, no, It no. was a funny bend in this pole. Like mm. it, it, had, it had been a rush job and they just got it to me in time and all that sort of stuff. And it was like, you know, when you pick up a pole and it kind of wants to turn in your hand, it's just got like a bit too much of a pre-bend in it or something. Yep. When you're running in on a 10-8, that's like a little no. sketchy. 
But I was yeah. still going for it. T- I took that pole up. I took jumps, but I never feel, felt like a heap of confidence on it. I was um, curious about that. I was because uh, the rumor was that I know a guy who had jumped in that meet with you. And uh, the rumor was that, yeah, Steve Hooker was like, yeah, I want this runway over in Boston. So it wasn't, was it, was it you that's true. Who, who went to I mean, them I was and like, was like, I, was I like, want that well, over? I think we said it together. I was like, I'm going to get a new pole. Let me jump on that runway again. We'll have a chance. That's awesome. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. yeah, I've jumped at the Reggie Lewis Center too. No, no, you know, offense to them, but it's yeah, it is a pretty, pretty it's a little flat, flat. Little yeah, flat a little track. Flat. So, but that, but that that was a good big bouncy runway out of out of Madison Square Garden. That thing was fun. That's awesome. All right, so I uh, want to respect your time here. Um, there's a couple of rap, rapid fire questions, uh, if you don't mind. Um, number one. What is your favorite pole of all time? We already know that. It's the 11 one. Yeah. 11 one. Yeah. That's the one that's right there. One. Yep. Um, what's more fun, long or short approach? For me, short approach was way more fun. Okay. I love jumping short approach. For me, yeah. longer full approach was always mind game. Yeah. I would be curious if anybody would say long approach. Long approach is stressful. <laughs> In my opinion. Um, and then if you were to pick a song to have in your ears during the trip down the runway of your Olympic gold jump, what would it be? That's a tough one. Uh, I made a playlist on the morning of the Olympic final. So really? I went through like, yeah, I went through my my whole iTunes library, whatever it was back then. There was no Spotify. And I put, I just typed in the keyword gold and I was like everything that, um, that came up. I was like, yeah, cool. I'm going to make an awesome playlist. I had like Santa gold. I had like something off Ryan Adams album gold. Like I had a bunch of gold songs that were all in there. <laughs> and I was awesome. like, I'm, I'm just doing this, you know, anything for like that positive reinforcement. And I was like warming up to my gold soundtrack, like in the, in the warm up track in Beijing. And then I was lying down, just getting my feet taped or something right before the meet. And I was like, something clicked for me. And I realized there was a song I'd listened to the entire way through my preparation. And it was a song called Lazy Eye by a band called Silver Sun Pickups. And I was like, oh my God, what have I done to myself? I've been listening to this all year. Silver Sun Pickups? Are you kidding me? <laughs> anyway, That's the playlist hilarious. of the day did the job. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. There you go. That's a long answer to a rapid fire question. We, no, no, that was really, really, really good. Um, yeah. Maybe we need to get that Spotify playlist. Uh, out to the people. Um, all right. This is a, this is the last one. We, I kind of do this one at the end. This is just kind of random, but if you were to pick three, three exercises, three things that you had to train on for your entire career, and you could do nothing else outside of those three specific things, excluding just pole vaulting in general. So you can pole vault as much as you want. Pole vault as much as you want and do these other three things. Three exercises. To be the best pole vaulter? Yeah. Like if you were to have picked three of them and you know, you and you still think you would have been able to come close to having the success that you did. I would long jump a lot. Ooh, first time I ever heard that. Okay. I would That's long good. jump a lot. And I would recommend most people starting. You just watch Ashton Eaton pole vault and then you realize mm-hmm. you should long jump a lot if you want to be a good pole vaulter. So that's the first one I would long jump a lot and I would have done that. I wish I'd done that more early. 
and learn how to do that really properly and really set up a takeoff and have that so that that's a strength uh, in your jump because that's where it all starts. Mm-hmm. So I would long jump a lot. Did you long jump in like late, like in your career, like during training and stuff? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh wow! Yeah, I don't look. I long jump like not far, seven thirty or something. Okay, not amazing. Yeah, um, but never, never really had a good go at it. Uh, so I would long jump a lot. I think I would deadlift. I like that one. Got to have some load. You can do it slow. You can do it fast. Like I would sort of deadlift mm-hmm. just to have that. It's like the whole body connection piece. And then it would nice be tough. I would probably do some high bar gymnastics. I was going to say that. I was going to be like, okay, if he comes through and we've got the sprinting piece and the jumping piece with the long jump, and then we've got the lower body, I was like, it's hard to not have somebody swing from Either a bar. A high bar or a rope. I'd just be yeah. like doing something on a rope or a high bar. Yeah, some sort that's of then your, the full, full stretch, whole body movement, timing. Mm-hmm. You can get strong doing it. You can get timing and flexibility doing it. Yeah, so I think, I know, those three. Awesome. Steve, I can't thank you enough. You're a legend in the game. Uh, and Thank you so much. Like, it's, it's honestly been amazing to talk about pole vault with someone who just loves it. It's <laughs> the best interview I've ever had. I will say that hands down. I've done many, many, it. many interviews over my life, and this has been by far my favorite one. So you've done an amazing job, and I really appreciate what you're doing for all the pole vault fans out there. I, I can't thank you enough. Is there any place, I don't know if you're on social media or anything, any place that you would recommend people follow you or <sighs> I'm a, I'm a horrible follow. So I wouldn't <laughs> recommend anyone follow me, but I'm, um, I'm at Steve hooker on Instagram, but yeah. you, you'll occasionally see the odd video of my kids doing <laughs> some pole vault in the front yard. There you, so go. That, you might get a bit of that. on there. If you haven't looked up a Steve hooker pole vault on YouTube though, you guys have to go out there and check out his videos and, and he's it's they're like uh pole vaulting treasures. So uh, make sure you I go out there and that. watch some of his vaults, but thank thank you so much, Steve. Really, really appreciate it. And uh, this is the one more jump podcast. Cheers, Jake.